The following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. Ashua, one of the, the pastors here, and uh, yeah, we've been in the book of Ruth, and I've enjoyed it. It's been a really, it's been very helpful and deepening in my, as I've considered the, the, the challenging nature of it, as we're calling it, a, a subversive little book, and something that it's, that's particularly subversive and challenging about it is is that it humanizes people that we so often put in the margins. And so the, the main characters aren't these great godly people, right, necessarily, that are then helping all the poor, needy outsiders. They've actually made, in God's design, one of the outsiders comes and is the one doing the service, doing the ministry. And, and it, it humanizes, and, it, and it, it takes it from those people out there and, and we know more of the story, more of the experience. And uh, just a, a simple parallel that I've uh, experienced over the last couple weeks is uh, just the process of loving your neighbors. When you start to do that in simple ways, you never know what's going to happen and what, what that can lead to. And so for us, it, <laughs> we, have a, we had a neighbor for several years who would come over and, and say hi or ask to borrow some money or, or connect and, went, and needed a ride to a doctor's appointment or just various things. He was an older single man. And, and so I was just a good neighbor and we would, we would do things. I'd help him, help him out every once in a while and I got to know him. And then what happened is he, got, he had an injury. He lost his job. He could no longer pay rent. And then he was on the street. And so my, my across-the-street neighbor now became my houseless neighbor who would uh, take his stuff and, uh, in his sleeping bag and would, would sleep under the awning of a, of a local nonprofit or under the awning of a local church and then pack up his bag each day and stand by the side of the road and put out a sign to try to, to raise some money to, to feed himself. And he needed a, an address. And so I happened to be the neighbor who was there. So he said, hey, hey, can I use your address for Social Security so I can try to get, get my benefits? And he needed a place to store his things. And so he said, hey, can I use your, your you got space in your garage. And, and so these little things where you love a neighbor, and then all of a sudden, now the person on the side of the street isn't just a, a nameless, faceless person who's probably up to no good and deserves what they got coming to them, which too often I think we we think of, this person on the side of the road with a sign was my neighbor. And so I could visit him and deliver his mail to him on the side of the street. And, um, and just, just last week, I hadn't, I hadn't seen him for a long time. And, and so I saw him, like, I got to go find him. I want to talk to him, see how he's doing. And so I, we start talking. And, and, and so there's a, there's a camp um, on Division and uh, right at the, the 205 freeway. Um, and right, there's a big 
field of grass and tents pop up at different times. And, and so he says, I, you, need to, you need to meet someone. And so I'm like, okay. And so we, we go from the side of this, uh, the, the freeway off ramp into the, the grass field. And he introduced me to a, um, a, a married couple and the wife who needed to get to the ER um, for a, a, an abscess that she had. And, and she couldn't get there. They couldn't leave the, the tent because it would get, things would get ripped off. And so it just kept getting worse and worse. And, and, and I'm like, okay, let's go to the ER. And, and, and so it was this experience of I'm going into a homeless camp, right? Not as, as like the Superman Christian, I'm going to go and, and, and help poor people, or not as like an outsider kind of like judging these people. Like I had an invite from a, a homeless neighbor who I had who was like, hey, you have to come and, and, and help. And then he could say, hey, this is my neighbor. And he, he'll give you a ride and you can trust him. And, and it was just this experience where then I heard this gal's story and, and what they've been through and how they ended up on the street. And, and it takes it from a face, right, on the side of a street or a statistic or a neighborhood problem to fix, and it's like, oh, actually, these are my neighbors. And, and so this story is going to take a refugee, kind of an immigrant of source, a Moabite who's this outsider, despised race, uh, from a, a despised religious background, and, and she's probably barren, she probably cannot have sons to carry on a family line. She's a, a widow. And all these things that would have made her totally the forgotten person in that time and day. And, and God in his wisdom is going to bring her in to center stage. And is going to teach us from our kind of higher place of, of cultural and economic authority and importance. This, this so-called nobody is going to come to the center stage and teach us about God. And in fact, God is going to speak through her. And, and that's one, one of the things that makes this book very subversive, but very, very powerful. So I hope you're as excited as I am to get in to it. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. Last week in chapter 1, we asked this question. We said, is our suffering pointless? We asked, where is God in our suffering? And we saw how Naomi wrestled through her suffering of, of famine, of needing to flee her homeland to go into Moab, losing her husband, and then losing her, her two sons. And, and she's wrestling with God and saying, God, is my suffering pointless? Is my suffering punishment even? And then we suggested and we saw little bit hints in the story that perhaps no the suffering was providential. It was God's provision, God's purpose in the midst of it. Now we're going to see another theme in this second chapter. Perhaps in the midst of our suffering, God is in the people who we meet along the way. God is in, working in and through those people. So, Ruth chapter 2. Let's get going. We're just going to walk through it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with some just background information so we can help us get into the story more. Okay? So they've just returned to, to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It's Naomi and her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. And remember, Naomi says, hey, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which is 
bitterness. She's mourning. She's broken. She's probably clinically depressed. She probably has PTSD. She's probably just totally broken and shooken up over this experience. And now they return. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now that is the narrator's introduction, okay? Now the, the characters in the story don't know this. This is kind of a little breadcrumb that the storyteller is giving to us, saying, hey, you know what? There is a relative, there's a family member of Elimelech, which is Naomi's husband who died, right? His name is Boaz, and he's a, it says, a worthy man. He's a man of stature, a man of honor, a man of wealth and importance. And so as a reader, we're kind of like, ooh, okay. Are we going to meet this guy? What's he going to do? What's it going to be like? Now, to get the significance of this, we have to kind of take off our Western glasses that we wear just because of our, most of our background and we have to get a little bit more into this, this Eastern cultural context. And there's something called, uh, cultural anthropologists make distinction between um, guilt and innocence cultures and honor-shame cultures. And we see this in this idea of a worthy man and this idea of a relative. Okay, And honor-shame cultures are not individualistic like ours. They're collectivistic. They, they value community. So just a quick overview of the distinctions and how we're gonna see this played out. You'll see this, okay? Our Western culture is more guilt-innocence, and we value equality, right? We value individual rights and importance and equality. And more honor-shame culture, there's hierarchy. We're, we're gonna see Boaz as this character. He's at the top of the food chain in this hierarchy, in this culture. And we're gonna see Moab, who, or uh, Ruth, who as a Moabite is, is right at the bottom. And in our culture, we're like, yeah, yeah, we're all equal. We're all the same. Equal rights for everyone. That's not the world these people lived in. This is significant power difference here. We also see there's communication that's direct in our Western way, and there's communication that's indirect. You're going to see some, some subtle indirectness in communication, and then you're going to see Ruth honestly stand against her culture and be really direct. There's individual culture, right, where we're all, it's every man for himself, we think and make our own autonomous decisions, right, think of the, uh, the, the Frost poem, right, uh, take the road less traveled, be an individual, do your own thing, okay, this is a group mindset, no, people are connected to their clans, where it says that there's this clan, Elimelech is a part of this family clan uh, with Boaz, now the, the clan was everything, you stuck by your family. And whoever was the, the, like, the, the top head, most influential leader in that clan, it was his responsibility to take care of his family, his community. We've worked a lot with, in our, our ministry, with uh, people from Arabic backgrounds. And we had some, uh, some Arabic friends where they literally, they, in, in their country, their life insurance plans and their, like, their insurance plans were family. So you would literally, you would pay money each month to a, a small group of men who were like the, the patriarchs of the family, and then they 
oversaw this huge bank account from like a family of maybe a thousand people that contributed to it. And then whenever someone had a need, you would go to these patriarchs in the family and say, like maybe a young man says, oh, I'm, I'm going to get married. I need money for, for the, the dowry or for the ring. Can I have some money? Or we, our, our house burned down. I, I, I need some money to rebuild my house. And so we, we think of, oh, you just go to the insurance agent. In a collectivist culture, no, the family actually takes care of its own. And there's systems built in for that kind of thing. On the other side, task versus relationship, right? Are things more important? Are people? And then finally, risk or caution, right? And you're going to see Ruth taking some risks. And you're going to see how significantly out of kind of her cultural uh, norm and her place in this society she was willing to be. So that's the background. We're in this honor-shame culture. And we, we learn about this Boaz who is a man of significance. Let's see how he shows up. Verse two. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So there's this this gleaning thing. If you you read the Hebrew scriptures, you, you know about God's provision for the poor and the sojourners and the refugees and the widows in that society is that you'd have the wealthy landowners and the people that would farm, and God said, okay, don't farm the edges of the fields, don't pick up the grain that you drop along the way, leave that for the people on the margins. Leave that for the people who did not have land to farm themselves. So that was God's provision for the poor. We, we, we can learn something from that, right? So there's, there's a heart that God has for the poor, and us as God's people should share that same heart. So she, Ruth knows about this law and this provision, and she says, I'm going to go and find some fields to work in, and I'm going to try to find someone who shows me favor. So she's looking for, for someone who will allow her to come in. Now, this is in the time of the judges, okay? And the expectation that, that someone who's wealthy, who has land, is going to practice Torah, is going to practice God's law, and is going to care for the poor is kind of a stretch, honestly. There's, if you read the book of Judges, like we're reading through the Bible with our kids, and I'm like, I'm worried about getting to the book of Judges because it is R-rated. It is sketchy. It is like, like Sodom and Gomorrah, like take two. Like it is, it's, it's really bad. And so we don't know what she's going to get. This this young woman with no protection is going out on her own to try to find, is there anyone out here who will show me favor? Is there someone who will let me glean? So she sets out. And she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to who? To Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, we ask that question. Where is God in our suffering? Right? Where is God in our world? The book of Ruth is, does not have like crazy miracles of multiplying bread and of, of like people walking on water and, and like sacrifices getting engulfed in flames from heaven. It's very subtle. It's, it's God working behind the scenes. And so this is literally like, and by chance, 
And somehow, out of luck, randomly, she goes to the field of Boaz. And so you're like, hmm, someone's up to something behind the scenes. And so she shows up to, to Boaz's field. And then verse 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So randomly, she finds his field. Randomly, he happens to be going out to check on his fields. And look at how he greets his people. We're going to get the first glimmer of hope. We know he's a powerful man. We don't yet know, is he a good man? But look at this. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. This is this first greeting and we get a glimpse of his heart. Remember, we said this last week, that in Hebrew narrative, the narrator doesn't tell us a bunch about the characters. We learn about what goes on in the hearts of the characters through what they say and what they do. And so, so what we see here is that, that God is showing up, that this is, is going to be a holy place right here in this field, that God has been invited to be in this field. And so he's going to show up, and we're gonna, we need to keep our eyes out for him. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the Moabite woman. Now, no, notice, if you, you could even underline it when you see it in your Bible. We keep getting reminded of her ethnicity. It, it's not an accident. This is a, this is a big problem for Ruth in this culture and with these people. This was, this was the, the thing that would cause her to be on the margins because of what the history, right? The history that was there, that, that God's people really didn't like the Moabites. And, and in fact, there were laws in place to, to keep them separated from God's people. And so we're going to be reminded of this. She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now this is significant, okay? So, so she comes, right, and she's, she's gleaning, she's doing what the, the, the law allows for. And, and at the edges of the fields and kind of just standing in the back. And this is very likely there's, there's many gleaners here. So if, if Boaz was a, a godly man and he allowed gleaning in his field, the, the poor and the widows in that community would know that. And they would be like, we're going to Boaz's field. We know we're not going to be harmed. We know we're going we're gonna to have a chance to get food. And this is kind of like, in our own culture, this is like the going house to house in the middle of the night on recycling day and going into people's trash cans and finding cans. This is what this is. This is a meager living. This is kind of getting the bare bones. This is trying to find a way to survive. And this is what Ruth is doing. But she has this, this courage, right, to, to say, I don't want to just be on the edges. I don't want to just pick up the scraps. Would you let me gather among the sheaves after the reapers? This is a request to say, hey, can I go where it's already, where the, the grain's already bundled up and, and pick from there? Can I go close to the reapers right after them and, and pick them up? 
This is above and beyond request. She has kind of a, a bit of like a godly nerve, right? To just like, hey, you know what? I know that I'm not going to get enough to feed myself and Naomi if I'm just getting the scraps. I need more than that. And so she has a courage. She has a strength to work hard, right? She's not sitting around waiting, God, would you please show up and somehow provide for us? No, first thing, the, the day after they arrive in Bethlehem, she's on it. She's going to work. She's looking for that provision. And, and then she has a humility because she asks. She humbly asks. This is a, there's, there's a deference there. There's this, this combination of a, of, it's not this brash kind of arrogance, but it's not this coy passiveness. She has courage and humility. And, and so the, the foreman is kind of like, well, you know, I can't answer that question for you. I, I, I can't give you that, right? I have, to, I have to ask the landowner. And so he's passing on this request to Boaz. So how will he respond to this brash or this bold uh, Moabite woman? How will he respond? And then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Wow. So he's like, okay, yes, absolutely. You can come and, and glean right after the reapers. You, you can get the best portion available. And not only that, you know what? I want you to be protected. I'm going to provide for you. I want to protect you. And when you need water, go and drink, go and rest. And what this is, this is a picture of hospitality, right? He calls her my daughter, my daughter. It's this invitation. There's this, this, um, this book that the leadership team read uh, this last season called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And, and the author talks about this radical, ordinary hospitality that makes neighbors, or that makes strangers into neighbors, and neighbors into the family of God. And so here you have this stranger, right, this Moabitess, from the, the margins of society at the very low place in, in that society. She comes, and Boaz reaches out to her and says, you are a stranger, but I'm going to treat you like an, an Israelite as a neighbor. But even more than that, I'm going to call you daughter. I'm going to invite you into my family. This is the radical call of, of biblical hospitality, right? Where, where we don't keep at a distance from people, but, but we see ourselves as the family of God, and we welcome other people into it. And it can be hard, right? Going to a new place, you don't know anyone. You're, you're entering into a new culture. In a lot of ways, a church has a culture, right? It has a history. And if someone comes from the outside, they don't know the history. They don't know the culture. They don't know, when am I supposed to stand up? When do I sit down? Who do I talk to? Who don't do I, do I not talk to? What? Like, these are all these unknowns. I, th I think Boaz gives us a picture of, of that welcome of how do we make people in 
to the family of God? How, how do we invite them in? How do we, how do we radically go above and beyond the requirement to, to welcome people? Now, she's blown away by his response. In verse 10, it says this, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Again, it brings out this race picture. right? There, everything about this situation is she does not deserve this. She should not expect this. And he just... He breaks down the cultural walls of, of kind of just assumed, expected behavior and just engages with her in love. This is amazing. Now, here's his answer. Look at what he says. He says, Then Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So he knows about her. He's heard the story. And and in a way, what he's saying, he's saying, My radical generosity, my radical hospitality is a response to your radical commitment, your radical sacrifice. And we we read it last week, right? Those powerful words. If you look back to chapter one, when when Naomi four times says to Ruth and and to uh, the other uh, daughter-in-law, you need to leave. Go back to Moab. Go be with your family. And, And Ruth says, no. Right? In verse 16 of chapter 1, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Right? She, that, that's this radical call to discipleship, to following the God of Israel and to joining herself to the people of God. That she made. And Boaz is referencing that. He's saying, no, no, you did this. And so, of course, the reward and blessing of being welcomed into the people of God is what is coming. Is, is, is the fruit of this sacrifice that you have made. And I fear, I fear that, that the, the promises of family and welcome and love and acceptance that we read in the Bible doesn't exist in the church. That we, we see a grace-filled God who welcomes us with open arms when we return, like the, the story of the prodigal son, right? And the father that, that hikes up his, uh, his, his like robe and runs after his son to welcome him back into the family. And then too often we're like the older brother and we're like, why do you, why do you accept him? Why did you bring him back into the family? He doesn't deserve to be here, right? And the message of Jesus is, no, no, my people need to have the same hospitable, welcoming heart and spirit as I do. And so this is a message, right? And some of us will relate better to, to Ruth, this person who has come as an outsider, and come into the people of God. And, 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 
experiences the love and welcome of God, but wonders, will I experience the love and welcome of his people? And some of us need to look at Ruth or Boaz and be like, wow, what an amazing picture of welcome and hospitality. Now, there's a, there's a couple of scriptures from the Gospels that Ruth is, is like the, the epitome of this, of radical discipleship. Look at Matthew 19, verse 29. Jesus says this to his disciples. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Do you see that in this passage where Boaz says to her, you left everything to come and join yourself to the people of God. And Jesus says that to us. As you leave everything, whatever you have to leave, whatever you have to let go of and give up, to follow Jesus. Do it, and it will be worth it. It is worth every sacrifice. Or again, in Matthew 6, verse 31, Jesus says this, Therefore do not be anxious, anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Isn't the story of Ruth, that verse just lived out? That as you seek the kingdom, as you give up everything to say, I'm going to follow Jesus, the other things will be added. The other things will, will come. Because, right, look at the, these words in verse 12. He says, under the wings of God whom you have taken refuge. It's this picture of, of God like a, like a mother hen, right? Or like a, um, a mother eagle covering and protecting her young. It's a powerful picture. And there's that, that word, right? I have found favor in your eyes, right? My Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. She experiences Favor. She was looking, remember, at the beginning of the chapter? I'm going to go looking for someone who shows me favor. And she finds him. She finds him and says, you have spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not even your servant. I am an outsider. I don't deserve this, but you have welcomed me in. This is a beautiful picture of gospel grace. Now, it's a, a new scene. They have their first conversation, their first meeting. And then it says in verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, so it's not enough just to give her the best parts of the gleanings. He invites her to come to lunch. Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. This is amazing. He keeps going above and beyond. Now this is something that we have to get. Some of us are wired to law. And, and legalism and following the rules. Rules are easy, right? 
You think, okay, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to get right with God, I'm going to get religious. Give me the rules. Help me to, right, we learned as a little kid, you, you paint inside the lines, right? Right, you, you color inside the lines. As long as I stay in the lines, I'm good and I'm clean and I'm fine. The message of the gospel is the invitation that God has come, that he has fulfilled the law and freed us from it so that we could just walk in love, filled with his Holy Spirit. And what you see here is this going way above and beyond the law. The law said, let them glean in your field, right? That's the, that's the word of the law. The spirit of the law is feed the hungry. Okay, Boaz is not stuck on, well, I just have to give him this much. And, and there's like rabbinical debates. How much of your field do you have to save for the poor? And well, let's count this and this and this, right? And just trying to figure out how little can we, do we have to do to get away with, with being okay with God. And Boaz just breaks that, right? He's just like above and beyond, above and beyond, right? That's amazing. Let us be a people like that. Radical kindness. Verse 17. This is the the end of this this scene. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Okay, it's about 22 liters. This is about a half a month's wage. A half a month's wage from one day of hard work gleaning. In the field of Boaz. This is amazing. And she took it up and went into the city. So here's the new scene, right? She's going to go back to, to the home with Naomi and they're going to talk. She's going to tell her what happened. Now remember, Naomi is left at home. And she's, she's depressed. She's broken. She's bitter. She's mourning. And she doesn't know what's going to happen. As far as she knows, Ruth is going to go out. She's going to get abused, kidnapped, be rejected as a Moabite, not given any chance to glean. She doesn't know what's going to happen. And Ruth returns, not empty-handed, not battered and bruised. She comes back with her, probably her shawl filled to the brim. She can barely carry it. Enough food possibly to carry them through the winter. Amazing amount. Right? And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. <laughs> she also brought out and gave her what she had left over after being satisfied. Remember the lunch? Where she got all that she needed plus leftovers? So she brings her dinner. <laughs> what a contrast from the first chapter. From emptiness to fullness. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Now notice how the narrator keeps the revelation of the name until the very end. And you're reading it, you're like, tell her, tell her, tell her. She's going to be amazed. And then keep in mind that uh, Ruth does not yet know that Boaz is a relative. right? The narrator has told us, and so we're in on the secret. Ruth doesn't know. She just thinks it was just this random guy. Like, I have no idea why he did this for me. But it was amazing, right? And then we're going we're gonna to find out uh, what's going on behind the scenes. So where did you go, right? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. We can just call him Bo for short. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So Naomi's like, you found Boaz. You found Boaz. And she tells Ruth, he's he's one of our own. He's a part of of Elimelech's clan. Like, he's one of our redeemers. There's there's something amazing going on here. There's something, there's significant potential. And, And for the first time, Naomi has hope. Right, she's wrestled with God. She's fought with God. She's felt beat up and punished. And then she says this, right? May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Depending on your translation, that, that verse 20 is either going to make it sound like it was Boaz's kindness who has not forsaken the living or dead, or my ESV here makes it sound like it's the Lord's kindness that has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, there's an ambiguity there. You, in, in the original, you don't know who, who the, the, like the pronoun is going back to. But I think that's deliberate. I, I think for, this, for the first time, Naomi has hope. And she's praising God. And what we see here, again, the narrator, one of the themes in this book, And what we said in the beginning about where is God in our suffering? He might just be in the people who meet you in your suffering. And so whose kindness was it that has not forsaken the living and the dead? Well, it was Boaz's kindness. And it was an expression of the Lord's kindness. That God uses his people. That we are the expression of God's providence in the world. That church, you are an expression of his his provision for the poor in your life. And the provision for the poor among us comes from among us. That is God's design. That's how he shows up. And when we're at the bottom of the barrel, when we're broken and needy and help, we have to be willing, like Ruth, to step out boldly and say, I need help. And, and boldly pursue that and boldly pursue God's provision. This is amazing. And we're going to end. I'm going I'm, I'm to read the last portion and then we're going to end on this, this word redeemer. And it's a foreshadowing of what's going to happen uh, in the next uh, couple chapters. And I'm eager that uh, Pastor Andrew is going to lead us through that. I'm eager to see how that theme works out. But I'm going to give us just a little, little foretaste. So here's Ruth's response. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Again, that picture of this is not a safe world they lived in. And he says, Find your protection here. Find your protection under this man. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And so the scene ends, drawing out probably what is another about six weeks 
of this wheat and barley harvest. And she's going day in and day out. And she's harvesting. And we know she's safe. We know she's being provided for. But then it ends with this kind of unsatisfying line. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Right? What's going to happen next? What, is it just end there? We have, we have this great kind of perchance meeting. <laughs> What's going to come of it? And that's to be told. But let's end here on this theme of Redeemer. And this word appears and comes in the Hebrew Scriptures from the story of, of the Exodus. That's, that's the root of it. That's the, the foundation of, of how God expresses and reveals himself as Redeemer and then calls his people to be Redeemers to one another. And so in Exodus 15, 13, he just says this. This is actually the, the, the song of worship in response to the, to the Exodus, right, of being delivered from Egypt. And it says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. And this picture of redemption, this picture of, of being enslaved, and then at the cost of a great sacrifice, the Redeemer comes and purchases the freedom or brings the freedom for the one that's enslaved. And so in redemption, you have the need, you have the one who's bound, who, who has no way of escaping, no way of getting out of their slavery. In the, in the situation of Ruth and Naomi, it's, it's they're, they're, they're bound in poverty, they're bound in, in widowhood. They, they have no hope in and of themselves. And so there's a need in redemption. Then there's this, this kinship picture. And God communicates himself as our father, right? And, and in the, uh, the picture of redemption in, in the Hebrew scriptures, it's, it's the, the brother that redeems. It's the, it's the family member that goes, that has a kinship tie and then therefore reaches out and redeems. And then finally, there is this cost, that must be done. There's a cost to set free the slave, a cost to, to purchase back the property that's been lost. And, and we see that in God. We see that he, it says, in his strength, he guides us. It's the people that he has redeemed in, their, in his unfailing love. Here's that word hesed that we talked about. God's covenant kindness. He draws his people. That kindness is an overflow. He sacrifices greatly to purchase our freedom so that we can then go and worship him, that we can be with him, we can be reconciled with God. We see that in the Exodus, we see glimmers of it in the book of Ruth, and we see it in the cross. We see it in Jesus that he's done that. And we're gonna, uh, we're gonna respond now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna, uh, we're gonna continue in worship, and we're gonna, we're gonna take communion together. And the communion meal came from the, right, the, the Jewish tradition of the Passover, which was a, re, was a remembrance of this day when God said, hey, sacrifice this, sacrifice this spotless lamb. Take its blood, put it over the, the doorposts, and that blood is a picture of the cost of redemption. And Jesus says, I am that lamb, that I lay my life down for my friends, for my kinsmen. And so that's amazing news. And we get to embrace that 
accept that as we, if we take this meal together that reminds us that his body was broken, his blood was shed. And then we get to be kinsmen redeemers. We get to be in a family that looks out for one another. And then we get to be the kind of family that is not an us-them family, but that, that says, come on in. There's an abundance. There's more than enough to go around. And so let's be that kind of people. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, you have redeemed us by your unfailing love. That we were in slavery to our sin, to our addictions, to our shame and our guilt. And you have paid a costly price, the price of your very life, to set us free. There's no greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. And you said, I, I, I no longer call servants, I call you friends, that you, uh, you've invited us in. And so we want to rest in that love, and we want to be like Ruth and, and, and step out and do radical risk-taking things, because we know that, that for those that have left everything for your sake, that, that all will be added uh, to us. And so we trust you, Lord, we remember you this morning. In Jesus' name. We desire to be formed by the Word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.